This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. This morning, I want to talk about what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ in the local church. And to do that, let us start in Galatians chapter 6. If you have your own Bible, open it to Galatians chapter 6. If you want to use a Bible that is in the pew rack in front of you, it will also have Galatians chapter 6. And while you're turning there, let me just tell you about what comes next. So we've been, starting the year, just a few reminders, a few exhortations about our life together in the local church. Next week, Lord willing, we will begin to move through Exodus together. Now, Exodus is a book that I have wanted to preach for a long time because it's so important for Christians to understand the teaching of Exodus today. And if you wonder, how does a book about a group of slaves in the Middle East, how does that connect with us today? Just think about a summary of that book if you're familiar with it. In fact, if you're not, here's a summary of the book. Exodus is about a group of people who are held in bondage. They are forced to serve unjust masters and they're made to suffer. And then God comes to set them free. And the way God ultimately does that is through the blood of a lamb. And from there, God leads the people that he's freed to the verge of a promised land. Along the way, he makes them a community. He shows them how to live by grace. And he promises to be their God forever. That's the story of Exodus. But folks, that's also the good news of Jesus Christ. We're in bondage to sin, slavery to it. He is the sacrificial lamb by his blood. We are brought out of it. And then God brings us into his family. He teaches us to live by grace. And he promises to be our God forever. It is the story of Exodus and it is the story of our faith. God still invites us into that exact same story today. And if you're wondering and saying, well, you're going to start Exodus... Uh, Are you ever going to finish John's gospel? The answer is yes, I will, Lord willing. Uh, The week after Easter, we will get back into, and yes, after Easter. We're going to do Exodus on Easter. That's going to be great. Uh, We will uh, will get back into John's gospel the week after Easter. And so my plan for probably the remainder of 2024 is to do Exodus, and then John's gospel, and then more of Exodus, and then more of John's gospel. That will give us a great back and forth between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the whole time, we'll be looking at the gospel. But first, this morning, we will look at fellowship in the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, together in the local church. So Galatians 6, starting at verse 1. And I resisted the temptation to just go all over the New Testament with this. I actually will only be in Galatians 6, 1 to 10. And the reason I did that is I could go all over the place to talk about being brothers and sisters in Christ. I wanted to show you how many passages there are to do this from. I could go everywhere. I wanted to show you how much there is in just this one passage, just these 10 verses. So let me read this whole thing. 
and we'll study together. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But lest each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially those who are of the household of faith. This is God's word. So a lot of this will be very practical, but let's start with the theological, which is, by the way, how you should always work. As a Christian, you should always work first from the theological, then to the practical. We don't start with the practical, you know, kind of what do we want to do? We start with what's true, and then we will do what we will do based on the truth of God and his word. And the same thing should work for us as a church. How do we conduct our life together? How do we carry out our ministry? How do we know how how we are to be with one another? We look at what's true in God's word, and we shape ourselves around that. We allow him to shape us around that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to point out two massive theological truth claims here that this passage is making, and then we'll spend the majority of our time talking about how this gets worked out. So mostly practical, but starting with the theological. So here are the two foundational truths in this passage. First, our life together in the local church is meant to reveal the gospel. Our life together here is meant to reveal the gospel. Second, as a church, we are here to call the world to Jesus. We're meant to reveal the gospel, what we say, think, and do, and then we're meant to call the world to Jesus. So that first half, revealing the gospel, look at these verses. Just look at those first. That breaks really nicely into, into, it's probably even two paragraphs in your Bible. Here's what they say. There is transgression or there is sin. And that's actually assumed. People will, uh, maybe you learned the Lord's Prayer when you were younger and you asked for forgiveness from trespasses. Same word. 
So basically, whatever does not accord with godliness among our church should be taken so seriously that we can't pass over it. We need to do something with it. But we're told, and again, this is revealing the gospel, we're told that we're not just here to condemn sin. Our purpose together is restoration from that which transgresses God and his word. And how are we to do this restorative work? We're to do it gently. Now, the law of Christ, what comes next, probably reveals to what Jesus calls the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus did, and it's what Jesus said we should do. It was his love for God that led to him sacrificing himself for people. Love God, love people. And then, after that, it's living humbly. So, theologically, the Christian life is a marathon. But instead of of pace and, and stride, you say it like this, the gate of the Christian is humble thought after humble deed. When you're a runner, you work on gate. You work on stride. The Christian life, the gate, is humble thought after humble deed. Uh, I used to run. I do other stuff now because every time I run now, I just get nagging injuries, and so I found other things that work better for me. And in what I would do when I would run, is I would get coaching from my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law ran college track and and coaches track. And so he'd watch me run, and he would say things like, you know, you're swinging your arms too much from side to side. It's carrying your momentum, you know, width-wise. You want want it going back and forth. And, you know, he would say, you're striding too far out in front, so you're heel striking, and what you're doing is driving energy into the ground. You're not propelling yourself forward. You're kind of fighting against yourself, so shorten up your stride. He, He would do things like that. You want me to get the most out of each stride. That's what we're to do as Christians, walking humbly. So for Christians, things like pride, Jealousy, selfish desires, those are all energy wasters and humility killers. They're stride killers of people who are following Jesus. So that's the first half. We're meant to reveal the gospel, and in the gospel we see a humble Savior who serves his people. Saves and serves. That's what Jesus does. So the first half... Reveal the gospel. The second half of these verses says that as a church, we're here to call the world to Jesus. And here's how that works. First, you can see it there. We're to put a primacy on the teaching of the word of God. The teaching of Jesus is important. We we have to support that. Second, we have to tell people that God is real. When this, said that, when this says that God is not mocked, it means this. It means you cannot ignore God, snub him, or take him for granted, and not expect there to be consequences for that way of living. But here's the rub to that. God can reveal himself to people in all kinds of ways. But the primary way 
that we see God all throughout the Bible revealing himself to people in the New Testament is through others. People telling people, sharing with them that God's real, that his son Jesus came to earth to die in their place, and if they want to truly live, they need to place their faith in him. So we see that in the second half. God is going to make another way that Paul will say it in another place is God is going to make his appeal to people through us. And then a third way that we're supposed to call the world to Jesus is we're supposed to do a whole lot of good. Because Jesus is good. Jesus did good on earth. Jesus is still doing good to people today. So we who are his people don't grow weary in doing good as we follow him. So I hope you see those. Those are the two theological truths. First, as a church, as a family of God, we reveal the gospel. Second, we call the world to faith in Jesus Christ. Another way you could say this, if you just wanted to put this all together, what this passage is saying theologically, is that our church, we got to get this, we got to get this. Our church, I would just say every church, but we're just talking about ours, exists to reveal the gospel, to live it out together, and to invite other people to join us. That's a summary of the purpose of this body of believers. Reveal the gospel to the world and one another, live it out with one another, and call other people to join us. So that's the theological, now the how. How do these unchanging truths propel us to carry this out? Let's just get practical. So first, how do we reveal the gospel? The answers verses 1 through 5 give are actually different than you might expect. How do we reveal the gospel? So if you ask people in 2024, how can we display the gospel to the world? you are likely to get answers like this. Hey, maybe we could take what many of us have in our pocket, which is a better video camera than people have ever had in the history of the world prior to about 10 years ago, and we could make a series of videos and we could post them online, or maybe we could even make a a high-budget movie and we could get it on a streaming service, or maybe we could get a TV show and we could put episodes of it out there. I'm not against any of those things. But maybe we could do something with media. Or maybe you're likely to hear somebody say, you know, if we really want to reveal the gospel, we should, we should go social. We should get on social media and we should have a posting campaign or we should uh, be using the networks that we have. <coughs> so you're likely to hear, what's a new way? What's a creative way? What's a way that we can harness technology that's never been available to us before to reveal the gospel to people? But that's not at all what these verses say we should do. They basically say this in three or four different ways. They say, if you want to reveal the gospel to people, here's how you do it. You know one another, you be with one another, and you love one another deeply. The Bible uses many metaphors for the church. My favorite is the family. We are a family of God together. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. 
together. God is our shared father. Jesus is our savior. He's our king. But by God's grace, church, let's also understand this. Jesus is our brother. And the reason I like the picture of the family best is because families are special. Families know you like nobody else does. And oftentimes they're committed to you unlike anybody else is. And you have to be that way with families because you're kind of in it together. You are knit in a special way together. And we have to do that here as a church if we're going to reveal the gospel to people because God has done the same thing for us. So look at verse 1 again. If anyone is caught in a transgression, seek their restoration with gentleness is what it says. If that sounds like a lot of work, it's because it is. It would be much easier to say, if anyone is caught in a transgression, so if anybody has messed up, forget them. That's easier, right? It's hard to restore people. It's easier to say, forget them, write them off. You know what? Probably drop them and go find somebody who's easier, who doesn't mess up so often. They're just easier to be with. But that's not what it says. It says, actually, if you are a spiritually mature person, you won't move away from people who mess up. You'll move toward them. You'll come close. And even though your instinct might be to give them a a big lecture and point out everything that they've done wrong, you shouldn't do that. You should be gentle with them. And you should remind them of God's mercy. And you should be patient with them in the hope that they will accept the free gift of God's grace. And you might say, why should I do that? And verses 2 and 3 give you the answer. It's because that's what Jesus did with you. It's what Jesus still is doing with you, and it's what he will keep doing with you. This is what verse 3 really is all about. Be very careful when you start thinking that on your own you are something special. But do this instead, church. Praise God daily that he has taken a nobody like me and a nobody like you And if you know Jesus, he has made us alive like Jesus is alive, and he's given us a resurrection like Jesus has had a resurrection, and he's given us a hope like Jesus proved when he ascended to the Father, and then he's given us a promise like Jesus did when his disciples were told that he's coming back again. Be very careful about thinking you are something when it's only through Christ that we are anything. The the thread that runs through these verses is that if we're going to reveal the gospel, the best way to do that is, is by humbly living in Christ together. You won't be able to restore anyone who's wayward if you don't know them and they don't know you. You have to know people if you're planning 
to be in their life in such a way that you can restore somebody who's transgressed God or you or others in a significant way. You certainly can't bear somebody's burdens unless you know somebody well enough to know what their burdens are. So again, just, let's just think about this very practically for a second. Nobody is going to trust you to hear you speak truth to them. Even if that truth is spoken in love, if you have little prior relationship together. And people are proud, and they're guarded, and people are afraid, and so they're not going to share their problems with you unless they know that they can trust you. So to help the lost and the wayward and comfort the hurting, we have to know them, and they have to know us. This is going to take time. It's going to take intentional effort. And it's going to mean sacrifices. But let me tell you right now, it is worth it. Relationships that build people up into Christ are unlike anything else you will experience in the whole world. They take a lot of work, but they're absolutely worth it. So let's get just ultra, ultra practical. Uh, In order to do this, if you're just wondering, like, how? Okay, how? You have to be with people for this to happen. You won't be able to do this with everybody in the church, and we're not asking you to. But just ultra practically, I hope, and I I want you to work, to have a small group of people who you are getting close with and close to. How do you get close to people? There are two reciprocal ways of relationships, kind of four total ways that getting close to people happens. So kind of two reciprocal relationship. Reciprocal relationship aspect number one, you've got to get involved with people. So you've got to spend time together. You have to get to know them. To get to know people, you have to ask them questions and you really have to listen to their answers. And the reciprocation of that is you have to, you have to open up to them. Uh, I see this sometimes. There are some Christians who do genuinely love other people, but it's either their pride or it's their fear of vulnerability that keep them, that kind of keeps them from letting others into their lives. And, and the truth is actually quite the opposite of what has the greatest impact on people. People will like it for a little while if you care about them and ask them questions, you know, maybe, maybe make suggestions on, on how to help them with their problems but they will usually draw back from you if they get the sense that you won't do the same with them. If if they want you to tell them all of your problems but are unwilling to share what they're struggling with with you, that's not how you build hearings. It's not how you build relationships with people. It works much better to say, Let's get to know one another. You tell me about you, and I will tell you about me, and we will help one another. Folks, let's get this clear. There are not transgressors and restorers in our church. There are people who are continually transgressing one another because we're fallen, broken people in need of restoration, and there are those, and, and, and we are together being restored in gentleness with one another. There aren't two categories of people. We don't have the screw-ups and the, and, and the rights around here. That's not, what, that's, that's not what we have. We have people doing this together. Now, reciprocal aspect number two. 
Take what you learn when you get to know about people and serve them. The best way to build relationships with people, you will begin to love people in ways that almost hurt when you begin to serve them because you're, just, you're in it with them. So serving, serving them. Start praying for people. And not in a braggy way. Don't be, oh, I'm going to pray for you. Tell people you will pray for them and make sure they know that if there's ever anything that they want somebody else to be praying about them with, you're that kind of friend. And again, then serve them. Uh, it's ironic. But we shouldn't doubt it works this way because this is what God does with us. You serve people you love. And, and this is, again, a reciprocal relationship. We have to let people serve us back. People don't like feeling like they're a project or a pity case. They like when a friend does something to bless them, and they like being able to bless their friend in return. Now, maybe you can do different things for different people in different ways, but people don't like feeling like they're a target. They like feeling like they're in a relationship. And I have to say this because I think it's important if, if we'll all hear it. If you hear this and your internal response is, I don't have anybody like that and no one in this church or nobody's ever done that for me. Nobody's ever come and asked to get to know me. Nobody's ever served, you know, come and asked to serve me. I just want to gently ask how much have you tried to get to know others and how much have you tried to serve them? If your complaint is nobody wants to know me and nobody wants to serve me, have you tried to get to know people and have you tried to serve them? Now listen, it it can't just be one person. This is what verse 9, we're going to get to verse 9 in just a minute. It's going to go faster after this. This is what verse 9 says in a couple minutes. Sometimes it's just not a good fit. It's just, it's just, you're going to try to reach out and somebody's just going to kind of stonewall you. Instead of saying, ah, forget it, I tried, what's the point? Do not grow weary in doing good. Keep trying. Keep trying. And if you think, I don't have the kind of, of Christian friendships that I want, then begin asking somebody to meet up with you Get to know them and, and think of ways to bless them. Just keep going. If, again, if somebody just kind of puts up barriers and, and they just kind of don't want to be known this way, I am sorry about that. I, they're the ones who are missing out. But you might just have to say, you know, I've asked that person for coffee. I've asked them to hang out. I've asked them to do something a couple times and they never want to. Maybe you just move on to somebody else. I'm not saying don't love them anymore. I'm just saying, you know what? You've only got you know, a certain amount of time that you can get out for coffee with people. Do the ones that want to meet up with you. <coughs> now, my earnest prayer is that we would all do this. But even if half of us start doing this, the great news is, even if half, only one out of two of us has to do this, because if half of us are asking the other ones to hang out, then we're all asking everybody to hang out. And so we really only are looking for 50% initial participation in this. The bottom line is this, folks. We could think of all kinds of creative ways of utilizing new technologies. We could have strategy sessions about how to communicate the gospel. But what we're told is that the gospel 
is revealed when we look out for one another, when we come and we want to walk alongside of people, when we see that people have burdens and they need restoration, we're humble about it. And this is how God loves us through Jesus. You see this in the gospel. Jesus didn't come and make some big splash. He died on a cross for the sins of the whole world. And and right after that, hardly anybody even knew about it. It was actually, if you look at his strategy for spreading the gospel, it was actually just a few people that he'd invested in personally that were the, the ones who began spreading the gospel. So this is the way of Jesus. And this takes us to the second half, and we'll finish this up pretty quickly. Our church family, as we love one another, calls the world to faith in Jesus. Now, how do we do that? The first thing is we read, hear, and shape ourselves according to the word of God. So verse 6 says, The ones who are taught the word should share with the one who teaches. What does that mean and, and, and why should we do it? Simply, this, this means that we should pay qualified men, pastors, to carry out a ministry of the word among us. And, and a ministry of the word is a ministry shaped by the word. And in this, I, I get that this comes across a little self-serving, but I already have this job, and so at least we must be on kind of some kind of the same page that I should be here. The reason that we should do this, this is, this is not an advertisement for my next paycheck. The reason that we should do this is because we should be a people that value the word and value our shaping around it to such a degree that we would together invest our resources so that as many people as God has for us and has brought together can be provided for, so that would be, in this case, myself, Tim, we have a staff to support us at the church, because in turn, when we have qualified, called pastors to have a ministry of the word, they can give themselves with much greater focus focus and quantity of time to ministry, and that will have a reciprocal effect on our church. We will have people who are devoting themselves to the ministry with their working time, and that's good for all of us. So the bottom line is this, simply put, we are Bible people, and it will work best for us to put our time and our resources into hearing the word ourselves and hoping that other people will hear it as well. So that's the first part of us calling the world to follow Jesus. There are two other gospel-proclaiming charges in these verses that are, that are put before us that we should make sure the people outside of our church knows. The first is that God is real. So we've already said, that's what Paul means when he says that God won't be mocked. You can't do either of these things. You can't pretend to know and love Jesus, but functionally ignore him most of the time. Second, you can't deny his existence when the evidence of him is so clear around you. What verse 8 means is that if you live for yourself, you are all you will be left with. It might sound like a good, you know, it's kind of a modern way of thinking, you know. You know, self-care, self-love, self-fulfillment. But what the Bible means when it says that you are all you will have is that you won't have Jesus. And you need him to truly live.
you will never be able to fulfill yourself. You will never be able to give life to yourself. You will never be able to give real and lasting hope to yourself. Only Jesus can do that. And church, people need to know that. And how else are they going to know it unless we tell it to them? Now verse 9, it's the second thing, tells us how both our personal and corporate call to people works. So we first, ministry of the word, proclaiming the truth, and secondly, we aim to do good so that people will know God. And this is a great promise. Verse 9 is a great promise. If we keep trying, we will have success. It might not always be the kind of reaping that we're expecting, but God will use our efforts for his glory. And now verse 10 adds this in. We do good to everyone, but especially to those in the household of faith. What does that mean? I think its meaning is is pretty clear. I think you just read that plainly. We are people who look for ways to bless all kinds of people, but we have a special heart for our brothers and sisters in this local household of faith. Why this? What, What makes this special? Because we're each other's people. There's nothing quite like family, right? I have some people in my family, and maybe you have the same thing, and we're related. And and sometimes when we're together, I'm thinking, man, praise God we're family because there is no way I would ever know anybody even like you if we didn't have to get together on these holidays. You You know what I mean? And, and, and it's the same thing for us in the local church. Praise God that he's put us together because there is no earthly reason for this group of people to be together. Wildly different. Wildly different people. But God has put us together. And that's why I, I, I'm not afraid to say this is a special group of people. I don't think it's the only special group of people. But it's like family, right? Right? There's something about family. And so I, am, I praise God that there are churches all over our area meeting together. And I hope the people that are members of those churches love their church and think that that's a special place. But when we sing together in just a few minutes, when we take communion together in just a few minutes, when we fellowship together after this, I hope you look around and you say, man, this is, these are my people. I look at you, I love looking at you. You are my people. You're my family. And God's put us together. So why do good especially here? Because we're who God has given to each other. My earnest prayer is that we would look at people here differently than we look at other people. I'll even say it. I think think you should have a special affection for the people in your church family. I want you to love all people. I want you to love all Christians. I want you to especially love these people. And that's going to take God doing some powerful things among us because, you know, like a lot of our extended families, there's a lot of people here who you might not get along with all the time. You might think very differently then. Might be different, but we've been put together. Another thing is what we talked about a couple minutes ago. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some intentionality. It takes work to love people well. So let's wrap this up. What do we do? A lot of you are already doing this so well. But it comes down to this. Know one another you just want to know, well, what do I do now? Know one another, serve one another, love one another. And 
Open yourself up to people and let them do that back to you. Let them know you. Let them serve you. Let them love you. We don't need new ideas. We don't need catchy marketing. I'm not opposed to all social media, but the gospel was just fine without it. We will do what God wants if we love each other in this church like Jesus has loved each of us to bring us into this church. Romans 15. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Let us pray. God, may we be a church that loves each other well, that we might reveal your grace and call people to you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.